Um, amen. Well, uh, I think Pastor Mark wanted us to share a little bit, so we'll do some of that too. If you brought your Bible, you can open it to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. <clears throat> And uh, we'll be sharing some things about looking unto Jesus today. Looking unto Jesus. Uh, when we come into the 12th chapter of Hebrews, of course, the 11th chapter just precedes the 12th chapter. The 11th chapter is what we call the Hall of Faith. And you can read about Noah and Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Samuel, Samson, David, you know, all of them. And all the different exploits and the great things that, uh, that they did. And then we will come to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, where kind of actually in chapter 10, chapter 12, we have we have the bumpers to chapter 11. Um, so while you open there, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father. Your word shall never return void, but it shall go forth to accomplish what you've sent it to accomplish. Transforming our minds, transforming our lives and helping us be a vessel, being a voice, being a light in our communities that our communities may also be transformed. Father, we ask and give me the words to say as you would have me to say them. And help us all to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, he has gone through and told all those faith stories. And then he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that would be the witnesses then of Hebrews chapter 11, the whole of faith. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So many times we, we, we look at the different People of faith, and we can, you know, we can look at T.L. Osborne, we can look at Or Roberts, we can look at Kenneth Hagin, we can look at all these different lives that have now passed on and have done great, great faith exploits. All of those three that I just mentioned, they were truly some real worldwide pioneers in their different fields. But here, when we have such a crowd of, cloud of witnesses, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, yes, they're an example. We have a race that is set before us looking to Jesus. So the answer is, yes, we have those examples, but our answers are found in looking to Christ. And so I don't know how you came today. You may have come discouraged. You may have come with difficult circumstances. There might be financial issues. There might be sickness. I don't know. But I do know looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus in Matthew, chapter six, verse twenty five. Jesus is talking and uh, he says it like this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, if you think of it, it seems to me that most people are spending the majority of their thinking time 
thinking about their own personal needs, their own personal sustenance. How can I get a bigger car? How can my family do better? Those seems to be the majority of the thoughts and the things that we spend time thinking about. But he said, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what kind of house you're going to be in and so forth. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Of course, we know anxiety doesn't expand our life. It shortens our life. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's very interesting that Jesus, talking about people who are just thinking about their own personal environment, he says that's little faith. You know, so many people are... You start asking them, talking to them about dreams, and they have a dream of a million-dollar house and about three cars in the garage and that type of thing. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't think there is anything wrong with it. But there is something wrong if that's the major part of our dream. That's little faith. That's small thinking. It's actually very selfish thinking. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, thinking about our own needs first, that's getting the cart before the horse. That's the way you have a wreck. You put the cart before the horse. It's it's going to be a mess. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek God's plan. Seek God's ways. And those things shall be added. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own troubles. Looking unto Jesus. You know, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well of Samaria... Of course, most people would never talk to that woman. She was a wayward woman, for one. Secondly, she was a woman, and men would not talk to women at that time. Thirdly, she was a Samaritan. I mean, three good, solid reasons in their culture why you should never talk to this woman. And Jesus is there talking to her. John 4, verse 14, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water I give will become a well swelling up to eternal life. This is, this is talking to a woman that culture, society, nobody wants to mess with this kind of person. But Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give. You see, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter where we come from, who we are, and so forth and so on. But if we will focus our attention on him, if we will draw from that well, if we will draw from that water, 
then that water becomes a well springing up from within us to eternal life. In other words, the source of life is already within But if we spend our time thinking about all the external things, then we are not drawing from the well that is already within. We're looking for answers in the wrong places. But looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, is like drinking from that eternal water. And whoever drinks from that water shall never again thirst. In John chapter 7, the last day of the feast, Jesus is standing up, talking. And in verse 37, he says it like this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly or out of his heart will flow rivers of living water will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke about the spirit who would be given during the day of Pentecost. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In Matthew 11, same thing, just from a little bit of a different angle here. Verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a rest. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the pressure is. But if we will learn to come to him, then he will give us rest. If we continue reading, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Now, here, this is, this is a little while ago. We were in Garcen. Garcen is a small town that's not too far from the border to Somalia. We're starting a Bible school there. And it's an area where the typical Kenyan will say, are you crazy going into that place? Don't you know it's close to the border to Somalia? Don't you know there are security issues and so forth? Yes, we know those things. But I know that greater is the one who is in me than he that is in the world. And so we're going in there. And actually, some of our instructors have gone in there and there's a police roadblock on the way. And the police are going, what are you doing in there? And kind of trying to advise people to to turn around and and not go in there. Well, coming in there, we find out that these pastors basically have had very little influence from the outside in the last 30 years. And there are precautions we need to take and so forth. But things have gotten to the point where we have been able to go in there uh, at times. So we went in there and um, just... One of the times I'm there, it's a very, very uncomfortable place to be. You can be in the best. There's about three guest houses in that town, and the best one of them still isn't comfortable. Um, the food in that place is, is you're hungry, but you're not looking forward to eat. Let me put it like that. 
That's just the kind of place it is. There's about three or four different places you can eat from, and you better not look behind where they're, where they're cooking that stuff because, um, well, you just don't want to. That's the kind of place. Well, one evening we go home uh, to one of the pastors that's there, very remote. You drive to a, through a very remote area just to get there. Now, the, the thing is, after we have gotten these people trained, um, they're so encouraged by us coming in there and, 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 of course, so empowered by the word of God that they received that numbers of them, they have gone out into either further remote areas where there are no roads. You can't get there. Some of those places you have to walk and they're opening churches in those areas. So we have numbers of churches that have started in unreached, unchurched areas. These are places where many have not even ever heard a name Jesus ever mentioned in their lives and going in there. But anyway, so we're, we're eating with, uh, with this pastor, and the next morning uh, we're back in school. I'm teaching in the school, and he kind of comes to me and says, Pastor Vidar, are, are, are you okay? Oh, yeah, huh? I'm okay. Are you sure? Yeah, what? Yeah, why shouldn't why shouldn't I be okay? Is everything okay in your tummy? <laughs> so <laughs> that evening after we had eaten with him, I I did feel a little something. And I had a whole team with me. I find out the next morning that everybody had gotten sick, except me, the missionary. All the locals have gotten sick, including the pastor that's eaten in his own home. But you see, that evening, when I felt something in, 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 in the tummy, I know something's going on. I had something I probably wasn't good. And you're in a very remote place. There is no doctor anywhere around. I mean, you're talking driving for hours to get to anywhere. And if you want a real hospital, I mean, you're talking about either a four-hour drive to get to a halfway decent hospital or you're talking about an airlift in Nairobi from, from a place like this. So, you know, those are thoughts you can start thinking about. Ooh, I wonder if this is serious. What's going to happen? And you can spend time thinking about those circumstances. But you see, I know I have a river of life within. I know that the very same power that Christ was resurrected with from the dead is the very same power that's abiding within me. And so I choose to look unto him who is the answer for every circumstance. It doesn't matter what is happening. It doesn't matter what the pressure is. But I look unto him. And I had no issue where the whole team is having a problem. These are locals. They're supposed to be used to this kind of food. I'm the foreigner. But see, it doesn't matter. You know, there's, there's no distinction between people. It's the people that look into him that get their answers. Earlier this year, we were on the way home to Nairobi. We had been able to take some time for, for Christmas. And when we're on the way home, I get a message. A good friend of mine in Kenya, New Year's, his wife went into labor at the hospital. They lost the baby and they lost the wife. While we're traveling, I find out another friend of mine, Bible school graduate, committed suicide. Left behind four little children, wife. That same week, 
our office manager in Tulsa resigned. Now, if you're a missionary, your stateside office manager is a very important position because that's your, that's your financial lifeline, taking care of things that needs to be taken care of on this side. You know, those things are pressures. Emotional turmoil because you get this friend here that committed suicide. You got another friend over here that lost a wife. And, and I'm trying, you know, pastorally to deal with all these things. But these are trying to torment my emotions at the same time. I've got my office manager that's gone. We had a, our, the house that we had in Tulsa, the, the tenants there had left. We couldn't get contractors to do the necessary upgrades. We had issues there. On top of that, one of our key people in Kenya ran off with another woman. All of this is going on at the same time. And I got bills on the table for more than $10,000. And I don't know where the funds are coming from. And on a monthly basis, the outgo is more than what the income is. So I do know a few things about pressure. And you add all those things together, you get all those news reports in the same. We felt like Job kept getting bad news. That week was one of the hardest weeks we had. But see, life is, is the pressures of life, they come to everybody. It doesn't matter if we're sitting in the pew or standing behind here. The pressures of life are part of life. So the difference isn't, This person doesn't have any pressure. This person has a lot of pressure. No, that's not where the difference lies. The difference lies in what we do when the pressure is on. Do we have, are we so founded on the rock that when the pressure is on and tries to knock us over or knock us out, my attention is still on Jesus. We were able to walk through all those issues here um, a week before the conference. We had rented the, what in my mind is, is, is the best facility in, in the whole entire city to have a conference. The most beautiful church central right next to Central Park, downtown Nairobi. You have to pay for that place. And a week before the conference, we don't have the money. It looks as though the conference is going to be canceled. We have notified, we have sent advertisements out to 20,000 pastors all over Kenya and Uganda. Everybody in the whole country knows this conference is there. And it looks like it's going to be canceled. Imagine the reputation. You're trying to establish something in the city and the mine is going, ha, 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 ha. Your reputation is going to be damaged. You're going to have to go home and all this. The pressure is on. But see, during that time, I know greater is he who is in me. And him who has promised is faithful because I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Have I not said it? Shall I not also do it? I shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, that is where my focus and my tension has to be. And I remember several nights we're going to bed at night. It might be 11. It's midnight. It's 1 a.m. We're working almost around the clock. The moment we wake up in the morning, we're back working trying to get all the things done that needs to be done for this conference. We're tired. We're exhausted. It's late at night. We're going to sleep. And my mind is tormented with all the pressure that's going on. What do I do? I get back out of bed. 
because I'm going, I'm not going to bed and, and, unless I have rolled my burdens on the Lord. Because I know his yoke is easy and his burden is light regardless of the pressure that's going on around about me. The whole family's asleep. I roll back out of bed and I go back out into our living room. I start praying. I start focusing. I start meditating on scriptures until I am so fully convinced that the pressure is gone. Don't ever go to bed with the pressure on. You push that pressure back until the burdens have been rolled on to the Lord. Then you can sleep like a baby every night. Matthew 14, we have the story of Peter walking on the water. And here in Matthew 14, verse 22, remember Jesus had one of the biggest miracles. He fed 5,000 without food. I mean, they had no food, essentially no food, and they still fed 5,000. They had 12 baskets left over. And Jesus goes up on the mountaintop, and we'll pick it up here in verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, wait a minute. We just had that big, huge miracle. There is no need for prayer. Everything is going real good. See, Jesus knew how to spend time with the Heavenly Father in the good days and also in the hard days. So after he'd had that huge miracle, he dismissed the crowd, went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but, by, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, study a little closer, you find out that's between 3 and 6 a.m. Jesus is praying all night. When everything is going good, the crowd is huge. 5,000 men, I had women and children. You're talking 10, 15,000 people that were fed today. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw, it, saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Very interesting. They had just been afraid. They've been rowing all night. It's 3 a.m. by now. The wind is against. Anybody been rowing with the wind against you? I have. I grew up on the ocean. And rowing is hard work to begin with. And when the wind is against you, you got to get that boat going faster than what the wind is trying to push against. If you try to relax just a little bit, you're going backwards and not forward. So you can be rowing and you're still going backwards if the wind is against you. So you've got to push on to go faster than what the wind is trying to push against you. It's 3 a.m. They've been doing this for hours by now. Tired, must have been. And they see Jesus walking on the water. They're afraid. They're tired. They have to be. But when they find out this Jesus, then Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. You see, it doesn't matter what condition our bodies is in. It doesn't matter if we're tired and worn out. It's still possible to walk on the water. And Jesus said, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and he came to Jesus in that condition where he's tired. His body is screaming at him. It's time to quit. They should have been at the other side by now. And still Jesus, Peter is still walking on the water because his focus and his attention is now on Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And here is where the problem is so many times. We come to church and our focus is again fixed on Jesus after a long week. But you see, the question is not where is our focus on Sunday morning? The question is where is our focus on Monday morning? And on Tuesday morning and on Wednesday morning and on Thursday, when the boss is a jerk and the co-workers are difficult to deal with, where is our focus then? That's the question. What are we focusing on when the pressure is on? And so, Peter, the pressure is there. The waves are still there. The disciples are still in the boat. All the problems are still there, but he's focusing on Jesus and walking on the water. But when he saw the wind and when he started to look at the waves, then those thoughts of doubt would come back and he began to sink. You see, I had to get up in the middle of the night and I got so excited knowing that we have the answer that I'm around in my living room dancing in the middle of the night because I know God is with me. God is for me. I'm in the right place. and We will have a conference. Same thing that when I'm out in Garcin, there is no doctor around and, and the tummy is doing somersaults. But I know. The power of God is at work in my body. See, it doesn't matter what kind of pressure it is. The principles are the same. If we will focus on Christ, knowing what the promises are and having the confidence, being fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised to do, we'll be in a good shape. Romans chapter 4 is Abraham. Verse 18 and 19. It says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Now think about how ridiculous this is. He's a hundred years old. He doesn't even have any kids that's worthwhile to mention in, 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 in this kind of circumstance. or in, He doesn't have anybody to inherit his things. He has a promise from God. You shall be the father of many nations. He's a hundred years old. I mean, talk about being a father is ridiculous. Talking about being a father of many nations, that's just plain stupid. God works with dreams that are so ridiculously big and ridiculously impossible. And he still makes to him who believes nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter if the world says it's time to retire. Abraham at a hundred. How? In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. 
which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now look that up in King James, verse 19 there. And it says, he considered not, is what the King James says. Well, this is the ESV. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Okay, something's wrong here. The King James says, he considered not. The ESV says, he considered his own body. Which one is it? Did he consider or did he not consider? One translation says he considered not. The other translation says he considered. Well, I did a little study, went, went to the Greek, and I found out what it really does say here. And it, that, that word which is translated considered, it means to be aware of or to acknowledge, but it does not mean to meditate on. In other words, he acknowledged the natural circumstances. He was aware of the natural circumstances, but he did not focus on the natural circumstances. Which translation is correct? They both are correct. He considered, but he did not heavily consider. You see, faith does not deny the facts of life. People who deny the pressure, people who try to ignore the pressure are not in faith. You can't ignore what the problems are. You have to be aware of what the problem. In fact, if it's a financial issue, oh, I'm believing God for some finances. What are you believing God for? Be specific. Well, I don't have the faith to be specific. Well, then you don't have the faith to overcome the issues then. Oh, I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm afraid of what the doctor might say. You're already afraid. You might as well go. It's true because the doctor will tell you what the facts are. So, you know what you're believing God for. If you don't know what the facts are, you don't know what you're believing God for. Abraham knew what the problem was. He considered his own body, but he did not focus his attention on it. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. How? As he gave glory to God, as he focused on Jesus, you might say, as he put his attention on God, he grew strong in his faith. Why am I getting up at midnight? Because I haven't paid enough attention on God for that day that, I, that, that the pressure is so much against me. I'm not ready to go to sleep yet. Acts chapter 16 is Paul and Silas. Another story. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Peter, you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about Abraham. Now we're talking about Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16, this is the Macedonian call. They're into Macedonia. Lydia was saved. There's one person saved. But then they cast out a demon out of, a, out of the slave girl of a witch doctor, basically. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. You see, that witch doctor just created a bunch of problems for them in that city. They're put in prison after putting many blows upon them. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, this is Paul and Silas's first time in Philippi. Philippi has never heard a gospel. There's only one person saved in the city. Now they're put in the inner prison. If you study those Roman prisons, you'll find out that the inner prison was a dungeon below ground level. 
and rats and, and mice would frequently roam around those places. Imagine what their backs were like. Their backs have been, the, the stripes have been put on their backs. They were, they were laid open in the back. And their feet are in the stock. That's probably the most comfortable position to be in when, you're, when, when, when your back is laid open, right? It's painful. It's hard. And the only way that you're going to get food is if a friend provides you food. They were put in prison because of an uproar that the city made against them. There is only one person in the city that's even born again. There is no hope of food. They would take the, 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 the people in the street. There was a small slat up at street level where somebody could shove some food in. You better hope that you could get to it before the rats got to it. That's the kind of condition that they're in now. That's pressure. You don't know if you're going to survive if you're looking at the natural circumstances here. Infection in the, in, in, in the wounds, and there are all kinds of issues going on. And singing hymns to God. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They knew where to put their attention. They knew where to put the focus when the pressure was on. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison was shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The miracle came when they had their attention on Jesus and not while they had their attention on the problem. Hallelujah. Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't feel worthy. I'm sure the woman at the well of Samaria didn't feel worthy. Jesus still talked to her about the well of life springing up from the inside. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In time of need, that's when some people want to feel unworthy. That's not the time to feel unworthy. That is the time to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what the circumstances. It doesn't matter if I may have made a mistake. Jesus is still my answer. Hallelujah. John chapter 3. Are you getting something out of this? John chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is afraid of all the other Pharisees. So he's coming to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. And then Jesus starts talking to him. We'll pick it up in verse 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. See, Jesus is conscious of the fact that he is from heaven. Conscious of the fact that he is from heaven. Now, you remember in John chapter one, it says, for as many as believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who are born, not of blood, not of flesh, not of man, but born of God. Not only is it Jesus that has descended from heaven, but I am also born of God. I am a child of God. The nature of God, the father is on the inside of me. The Holy Spirit is on the inside. It's the very same power that raised Christ from the dead that is at work on the inside. You see, we've got to be aware of what we have, who we are, where we come from. Hallelujah. 
So Jesus is aware of this. But then he says in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted What is that talking about? That seems strange saying. Well, you've got to go back and read the story in Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, you read about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Anybody seen an ambulance and you see a, 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 like a pole, the symbol of the pole with a snake wrapped around it? Anybody seen that? comes from this very story in Numbers 21. Let's go read it. Verse 4, Numbers 21. So there from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea. To go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. Then pick it up in verse 5. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. The manna is dropping from heaven every day, and they're complaining about it. Complaining about the very miracles that has given them the life. Complaining is never of God. Verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a bronze or and if a serpent bit anyone. Now, these are people that just complained. They had just sinned. Yet, if a serpent bit anyone, he will look at that serp, bronze serpent and live. It's a story of healing, isn't it? And that's why we see it on the ambulances and doctor's offices. The medical profession is using this symbol even to this day. Most of them probably don't even know why. Then Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Why is a serpent likened unto Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. We understand that Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And that pole of the Old Testament is a representation of the cross in the New Testament. That's easy to see. But why was it a serpent? A serpent represents Satan. It represents sin. It represents evil. It represents sickness. It represents everything that's bad. And yet that is being used as a symbol for Jesus. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. It says it like this. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, he became sin for our sake. 
That, that, that serpent of the Old Testament was made out of bronze or brass, depending on what translation you read. But that brass of the Old Testament is, is, is a metal that they would use to represent judgment. Why is the serpent made out of bronze? Because when Jesus was made sin and hung on that cross, the judgment of God fell on him so that we could go free. Second Peter, chapter two, verse 22. It says he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In the Old Testament, when they fixed their gaze, that gaze, when they focused on that serpent, Forgiveness of sins and healing was both provided for by the same serpent. In the New Testament, when we focus on Jesus and him having paid the penalty on the cross, we are set free from sin. We are made righteous and by his stripes, we are also healed.